I realized in this recording that we were watching, I was the only person wearing a pink belt, bright orange shirt. I had the, this huge ponytail and everyone else was wearing grays, whites, and blacks. And I told Dean how, but I was like, how embarrassing that I stick out like a sore thumb and I'm talking like this, talking as fast as I can, pointing, going on the whiteboard. And she goes, how amazing that you're the one that sticks out. You're listening to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast, the only leadership podcast run by undergraduate students dedicated to helping undergraduate students lead in diverse fields. From people in diplomacy to entertainment, from CEOs to student leaders, we feature people from all walks of life. It's all part of the mission. Here at the Piscina Leadership Institute, we make leaders better. Hello, and welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. I'm Marissa Martin, and today I will be talking to Mary Grace McNamara, who is a current student in the Seton Hall Honors Program. Here at Seton Hall, she is pursuing a bachelor's degree in secondary education and teaching, English and history. In addition to being in the Bucino Leadership Institute, she also serves as president of both History Club and the Honors Program Student Advisory Board. On top of this, she is also an ambassador for the College of Education and Human Services. Other affiliations include Kappa Delta Pi, the Seton Hall Office of Disability Support Services, and Seton Hall Preparatory School, where she is a student teacher. On that note, I'm happy to welcome Mary Grace to the podcast. Mary Grace, from what I can tell, you have a wide range of talents and experience ranging through multiple academic disciplines. Would you mind walking me through how you decided on your current course of study? Sure. So I came to Seton Hall knowing I wanted to be in the secondary education program, and I knew my whole life I love history for the reason of the cultural, social, the storybook of human beings. So no wonder that I wanted to add English on top of that because I love literature and I love this storytelling narrative of what it is to be human. And the only reason I was able to add this tertiary major of English was actually through the honors program. So the honors program gave me an extra 24 credits that I was allowed to add to an additional major in addition to my content area for teaching. So obviously I chose English because one of the questions we've explored in our four colloquiums was, what is it to be human? And I feel as though we can find that through the history of people and through the stories that are told. That is amazing. Oh my goodness. When you were applying to Seton Hall, did you originally know that you had this option? For the tertiary major? Yes. No, I had no idea at all. I knew for a fact that I needed to do a double major with my BSc. But then when I came to the honors program, I was like, oh my gosh, I have all these AP credits. I have all these other allocated opportunities through the accreditation. So I talked to Father Neri one day. I was like, sign me up for that third major of English. That is really interesting and something that I've been considering as well. So as an incredibly involved student, both in and out of the classroom, have you ever seen yourself fall victim to burnout or a decrease of performance or motivation? And if so, what, in your opinion, was the most effective strategy you employed to work towards it getting resolved? I do think I experienced college burnout this past fall with the return to being in person. I was working two part-time jobs in addition to an 18-credit semester, in addition to student teaching. So I had to totally do a priority check of what I needed to continue to have in my schedule or what needed to be cut out. And I actually stopped working one of my part-time jobs. That was my weekend job. And that actually helped me a lot. I was able to go to the gym more often. I could go to church more easily. It was just nicer than to always be on seven days a week. During that time period, how did you decide where to allocate your time and resources? I knew that it was going to be that part-time job was to be the one to get next, because I do feel as though there are scholarship opportunities in each and every corner I turn at Seton Hall. And in addition to that, I was never going to give up the student teaching because that's uh, mandatory for my degree. And I did not want to give up the tertiary major because I worked so hard to even have that option to pursue. It must be really difficult to find time to prioritize certain things over others, especially when you seem to have a passion for multiple different academic disciplines. 
So you did mention COVID-19 and coming back in person. So I'd now like to segue into this question a little bit. It's now getting pretty close to the two-year mark of COVID-19 being categorized as a pandemic. And with this global outbreak, many students had to make the switch to remote learning. Could you walk me through what this transition was like for you? And do you think that any aspects of online learning will be more widely implemented in education going forward? Sure. My transition to online, I was one of the many, many, many thousands of people who thought it was only going to be a two-week period. So I never had my setup ready in my room. Do you know what I mean? I was having Netflix on one side. I was on my phone, my left hand, barely listening to my professor. But then when I realized that this was the new reality, I did do what a lot of people did. We made a, a separate part of my room for homework. I made a separate part of my room for online education. I made a separate part of my room for pleasure reading. I had to do that. From the other side of it, as a pre-clinical teacher in public schools in New Jersey, I noticed that I think the quality of education has totally been deterred from what it used to be. First of all, you have to think how hard it is for most students to have attention for a full school day. So a lot of schools transition to half-day online education. And in addition to that, there are a lot more students than I ever knew who don't even have their own computers, don't even have their own desks or their own rooms. And I remember a student teaching once, this seventh grader, and she needed extra time or like extra assistance on whatever the social studies assignment was. And when I stayed with her after normal class time, she was in the same room as three of her other siblings in a closet because her parents were also working online. And that just totally blew my mind. It's like school is not only a place for education for kids. It's a way for them to be an individual, to have their social connections, to get away from home. But I do think we're going to segue back to in-person education. I'd say all the public schools are back in with mask mandate full day, full day again. That's great. And I think what I've noticed is a lot of my in-person classes nowadays, or at least this semester, have been still implementing a Teams option for every single class, which I think even though it's all in-person, there's still that option for students to take if they want it. And I think that's going to be a big thing going forward. And I agree entirely with the thing you said about students, you know, sometimes not having a good place to work. I know that a lot of my peers either couldn't get Wi-Fi or it was blacking out during a test or didn't have a reliable source of, you know, a good time and place to be able to just sit down and just do work. But how cool is this age of technology that we're in for this hyper, what do you want to call it, high flexible, the high flexible education, great for if you're sick or you travel, sick family member. I think that is something that's going to say. So besides COVID-19 or, or even including COVID-19, what would you say is the biggest challenge that students today are facing, whether it be social, emotional, or academically driven? I think a lot of students are, this is so funny that we mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast. I think the number one challenge that students of all ages are facing is this idea of balance. I think everyone, there's all this idea of eggs in one basket, that I'm going to be the best possible student athlete. Or I'm going to be the best possible musician. I think there's a lot of holistic characteristics to be a form uh, a fully formed human being. I think we have to work on kindness and compassion just as much as we have to work on our innate curiosity. So I think it's this idea of balance, that there's a holistic human being to everyone. I completely agree. And I think that that's why some of the core classes that Seton Hall offers students is incredibly important because not only are they getting that well-rounded, but they're not learning just information. They're learning how to think. And some of these classes, such as Journey of Transformation or even Ethics, something like that, people are learning how to think for themselves and how to form opinions and discuss complicated topics and subjects. What would you propose as a potential solution for this? There's this new approach to teaching called social-emotional learning. And in the public schools, that means not just eye contact and learning to be patient, but it's really to be aware that a teacher has to be culturally responsive to the environment he or she is teaching in. Meaning if I know everyone's tense about something, there's probably something that happened in the lunchroom the period before. So we respond to that. 
and let them have a moment to talk about feelings and then respond to one another. That's a way to create a community within the classroom through cultural responsive teaching and social emotional learning. Now, so funny that you mentioned the core curriculum in college, because that's something I think that should be universal to all colleges in the United States. Whether or not it's the Catholic mission, I really am so thankful for that to be at our school. But I think even at public institutions like Rutgers, there should be at least nine credits of logic, of introspective religions to look around the world, compare Abrahamic religions. I think there's a lot more than just your science classes and your English classes. I think there's so much more to learn. I agree. I don't think that schooling should be based entirely on just how well can you memorize information. It should be how can you apply it? How can you apply it to not only the questions that are being asked, but to your daily life and even your future and your future endeavors and things along those lines. So as the president of the Honors Program Student Advisory Board, I would love to hear a little bit about what you've accomplished while in this position and what your journey with that has been like. Sure. So I tell everyone this who asks, but the two reasons I came to Seton Hall University were A, the Catholic mission. I went to public school my whole life. And to have a classroom with a cross on it was like like Disneyland to me, just so cool. Like that was so nice to have that incorporated to my education. But the second was actually the honors program here at Seton Hall University. The honors program here is much different than any other honors program at other colleges because we have a set curriculum of 24 credits that are called honors colloquiums. And each colloquium goes through a different period of history, of intellectual history, of linguistic history, of artistic history. So as you can imagine, it's interdisciplinary. So we go all the way from ancient Civ to modern times. We talk about the idea of utopia. That's a very modern idea of what is utopia. Other honors programs are, you're in the honors physics class, so it's just a little harder curriculum. You're in the honors math class. So here, it's an actual new curriculum. That was my draw. So then coming into the honors program student advisory board, there was an opening on the honors program student advisory board about two years ago. Father Aniri appointed me. I was very, very nervous because I feel as though I'm not as smart as everyone in the room. Do you know what I mean? Because they're the honors kids. So that was my moment of imposter syndrome when I really realized, well, I'm also one of those kids. So on this honors program and student advisory board, I started with this whole idea of community building in the honors program because of virtual education. I feel like none of the cohorts of these four columns were able to get together. So I hosted a couple of virtual events. There has been, I would say, actually five tangible deliverables that have happened in the past year. Tim Zekin, he led the idea of a textbook hand-me-down program because we go through about 25 textbooks. Nizar has implemented a mentorship idea where we have juniors and seniors in the program mentoring the freshmen and sophomores, whether it's an essay writing, time management, how to actually properly read these ancient texts. We had a giant Christmas party for everyone to get along. We had an outdoor picnic to create this community. And we also wrote probably a 20-page compilation of what curriculum needed to be adjusted for the honors program to be responsive to what we wanted to learn. So that's something very unique, I think, too, is that the students were able to have a voice in what their readings and writings and uh, Socratic seminars would be based in. So we gathered all this data as a huge team, the whole 16 of us, compiled this letter, and then not only submitted it to the director of the honors program, but also to the provost. So that was our biggest accomplishment. Those are amazing accomplishments, and I hope that you are very, very proud of them. Do you believe that your time in the Bucino Leadership Institute has prepared you for this actual leadership position, and how? Absolutely, 100%. This Honors Program Student Advisory Board is a true interdisciplinary team, from which I was also a leader my freshman year of an IDT team. And in that position, I learned about how everyone has this untapped genius, okay? Everyone has their amazing talents, whether you're extroverted, whether you're patient, well, they're able to look at data and compile it. And in the Honors Program Student Advisory Board, I'm telling you, we have all these unique majors. We do have the bio kid. We have the diplo kid. We have the history kid. We have the education kid. Love it. Bucino has prepared me to 
take everyone's talent, right? Make these uh, delegated tasks, these deliverables. Everyone is able to have their own goals, delivers it to the team. We come together as one. So that's something I learned from IDT was that we do group work, independent work, group work, and everyone has their own say based on their talents. I think it's great that you're able to apply that to your everyday life, especially during your undergraduate career. And to kind of segue into this, as a student in the Bucino Leadership Institute, I'm sure you're aware of the different focuses of the institute varying by year. For our listeners who may be unfamiliar, the first year teaches students how to lead oneself, followed by leading others the second year, and then the focus shifts into leadership and the discipline during the third and fourth years. Out of every lesson you learned and challenge you have faced thus far, which year and experience specifically would you say may prove to be most influential in your future of leadership outside of Seton Hall? I think the leading yourself was most fundamental to leadership skill for a few reasons. First, I think in order to work in a team and be a working part of this team, you have to know what you can bring to that team, right? So you as an individual have to know your strengths and weaknesses and then know how you can work with other personality types that way. Secondly, I do feel like you have to learn at some point in your life who you are and what you're capable of and what better way to do that than through introspection. Absolutely. And you mentioned identifying your strengths and weaknesses. What did that look like for you? How were you able to find out what you were good at and what you just were lacking in a little bit? We took, so obviously my weakness is that I talk too much. I'm quite the chatty Kathy. I definitely take up a room, but I think my strength actually is that I, there is not one thing that can make me quiet. I really, truly, if I have an opinion, I will obviously listen to people around me, but I will never have, um, I will never let my gender influence in a room of men what I'm going to say or how I will deliver my message. I do find that I'm an ethical human being. And just because I'm loud and talkative, I do think what I deliver is still out of kindness or goal-oriented. And how did I learn about my strengths and weaknesses? Well, we had our first recorded IDT meeting. I just had been elected the leader through the group. I thought I did a very Socratic job with that. I don't think I was too bossy then. Halfway through the meeting, I realized in this recording that we were watching, I was the only person wearing a pink belt, bright orange shirt. I had the, this huge ponytail and everyone else was wearing grays, whites, and blacks. And I told Dean Help, but I was like, how embarrassing that I stick out like a sore thumb. And I'm talking like this, talking as fast as I can, pointing, going on the whiteboard. And she goes, how amazing that you're the one that sticks out. And to this day, I do think my strength and weakness are the same. That's great. And I think that your ability to do what you said earlier and to not let your voice be silenced by any of these other factors, such as, you know, gender or things along those lines, which I think Busino actually does a really good job with being able to make sure that everyone feels heard. And that is such an influential part of especially the first year when you are learning to lead oneself, because you have to be able to know when to be quiet, when you need to be, when to listen, and then when to act and speak. Correct. That was my biggest lesson learned my freshman year was when to listen and when to speak. So if you had to create a brand new organization at Seton Hall, never been seen before, never been done before, what would it be and what impact would you be hoping to create in the community? I would want to mimic something like Read Across America. However, I would like it to be a donation-based, collect books, be become an expert with that content, whether it's in kindergarten, The Very Hungry Caterpillar, all the way up to 12th grade to kill a mocking. In addition to that, I would like this team of kids, these team of undergrad students, to go into the inner city. We're right next door to Newark. We could go to New York City. We can go to Elizabeth, New Jersey, um, read those books, and then donate those books after being read to the students. And then have probably a Socratic seminar about what we just discussed in that chapter learned. Do you think that this would be a feasible option for something that you could do? I think actually 100%, not only in collaboration with the Honors Program Student Advisory Board, who are people who are driven by literature and their passion for words, 
But in collaboration with the College of Education and Human Services cohort, my cohort this year is trying to do something with Jersey Cares, where we actually get parenting books for impoverished mothers who have to go through this organization. I'm sure that this is a possible thing, knowing how my teams have worked and what we can accomplish thus far. Do you think it is something that is in the books for you in the future? Definitely with my cohort, College of Education and Human Services, that's something big I want to do. Is not only do we receive books through donation learn the content, but I definitely want to go into these classrooms and help these students. We're already fingerprinted. We're already uh, substitute certified pre-service teachers. I think it's like such a great resource that we have all these educators in one spot. And as a leader yourself, what would be your response to someone who believes that leadership is something that a person has to be born with? Do you not think leadership is something they're born with? Are there people who are innately charismatic? Sure. Are there people that are innately intuitive? Sure. But there are so many skills throughout your life that you can cultivate. One of them is your ability to be a public speaker. I think that's any skill that anybody can um, learn on their own. In addition to that, I think we are very capable as humans to take macroscopic views of understanding things and turn them into very pointed, deliberable, goal-oriented tasks. Meaning, I think everyone is visionary in their own way, whether their vision is different than one another. And it is a skill to then take that vision and be able to make it into um, manageable tasks, which is a skill I think anyone can learn over time. Absolutely. I entirely agree. And I don't think that leadership is something that a person has to be born with. I believe that through experiences, whether it be through life or through a program like we're in, that you're able to gain these skills that will actually allow you to be a leader. And I think that Busino really only fast tracks that. I feel like they give us the opportunities and the resources to be able to grow so much in such a little span of time, in, a, in such a small amount of time in comparison to the rest of our lives. So we've talked a lot about your current status as a student, but I'd like to know a little bit about your post-grad plans if you have any. My future plans are to go to law school. I'm currently studying for the LSAT. I think I want to either work in criminal law for children's advocacy or family law to advocate for women and children. Wow. And have you researched how to get there? Do you know the steps that are necessary to take? Well, let me tell you how the Career Center helped me. The Career Center is what helped me pursue my proper uh, my proper steps. I've met with my leadership coach, actually. She thinks that most people who apply law, the competitive law schools need to have an internship. And she actually really helped me realize that my student teaching placements count as internships with working with children. That was like a godsend because of how many hours have I racked up doing that. And in addition to that, I'm part of the pre-law society here at Seton Hall. And obviously I'm doing all the LSAT study. I bought the two books. I'm like reading with my glasses on my highlighters. We're getting there. Another Elwoods, I suppose. Perhaps. So now I'd like to go into the rapid fire questions. Which person in your life has been most influential towards your growth and success as a servant leader and student? My answer 100% wholeheartedly is my mom. Not only is Cena Hall her alma mater, she got three degrees here. She was the first in her family generation to go to college. She's an inspiration not only to be a servant leadership student, but just a servant leader. I've never known a day where my mom would not give flip-flops to the Philippine um, earthquake drive that we had in my town. She was the Girl Scout leader. She was a CCD teacher. I feel like my mom is the first person to do something for another before thinking about herself. If you were to create your own podcast, who would be your first guest? Will Smith. Will Smith. I think his transformation in his entire life has been nothing but amazing. First, he, he gets into uh, what's it called MIT, says no. Then he becomes the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Now he has these two kids. Have you heard Willow's songs? I'm telling you, Will Smith, I think has experienced every little part of life that anyone could. 
I think it'd be fascinating. And what kinds of questions do you think you'd ask him? I would definitely ask him why he chose to go into entertainment as opposed to doing something or like intellectual. I know he is a musician and an artist too, obviously being an actor. But that's what I would ask him first. Is why entertainment? But I think it's because he's amazing. That's definitely why. He was going to be a superstar, you know. I think someone here should reach out to his manager about getting him on this podcast. So which academic resources you've utilized so far have proven to be most valuable to you? Out of all the academic resources I've utilized, most valuable to me has been the Career Center. This is because I have I have a few different goals throughout any given semester. And so one of them could be a scholarship pursuit. One of them could be a legal internship. So first, uh, one goals throughout my semesters are different types of scholarship applications. Another one is obviously what I have to submit to the school I'm student teaching. They need a different type of resume. And then any lead internship I'm trying to pursue, that's a whole different resume. They help me with cover letters. The Career Center, I'm telling you, is an untapped resource. People need to go. They're so good. I feel like not enough people actually really go to it. It's something that we're taught a lot, especially in university life and things like posters or emails. But rarely do I actually ever see people going there, which I feel like is an un- what, like exactly what you said, an untapped resource. And it's something that more people should be utilizing. If you had to name your top three favorite fictional leaders, for whether it be from movies or books or TV shows, who would they be? Um, Gandalf the Grey, in terms of Gandalf the White from Lord of the Rings. My second one would probably Tyrion Lannister from the Song of Ice and Fire series. And then my third one would be Korra from Avatar. Those are all great answers, but I wanted to ask you the last rapid-fire question I have for today. If you were to write an autobiography, what would the title be? My autobiography would be called A Forever Learner. And why is that? Can you expand a little bit? I think to be an educator, to be an advocate, and to fully understand something, there's always a new fact to be learned. And for every new fact you learn, there's two more questions. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. We do learn something new every day, every single day, whether it be new experiences. I don't feel like every bit of knowledge is just memorization and being able to do a math problem or something like that it's also emotional intelligence and thing and it's also emotional intelligence and things along those lines well with that i would like to thank you so much for being here and for talking with us that is all the time we have for today do you have any parting words of wisdom for our listeners So in my pursuit of the question, what is it to be human? I just think everyone needs to remember what it is to be kind and what it is to be compassionate and what it is to be inquisitive. Absolutely. And thank you so much for being here. And with that, a big thank you to our listeners. On behalf of everyone at the Pasita Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank the podcast team, 89.5 FM WSOU for allowing us to use their facilities and you for listening. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership, on Instagram at Vecino Leaders, and on Twitter at SHU Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.